Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It, we are continuing our worship service. It's 9-12-2021. And we're continuing with the thought of the week and prayer. I have the thought of the week. Um, there it is. There is something special about being on the inside of the dwelling. Inside is where we find God being himself. There is a special relationship going on inside the home as opposed to outside. I know the analogy I would love to bring now is that being inside the home where you can find, where you can let our hair down and be ourselves. The real us can be what we are without makeup on and faces we must put on to face the world. However, however, since we are still working our way through our sinful nature influences, the closer someone may get to us, the more they see that which is not lovely. Then, when it comes to the sin nature, tempting us to judge one another, this may not be the best analogy. However, God is the opposite. He has no repelling sin nature, no skeletons in the closet, no ulterior motives. The closer we get to God, the more we see of his glorious, loving, and kind, and generous spirit. The closer we draw to him, the more rewarding it is for us, as found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It is obviously rewarding for him too, since this special place of intimacy was designed for him. Christ, Christ promised some teary-eyed disciples long ago, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. That's found in John chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. What is interesting is after Christ left, God began bringing many sons into glory, found in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. In the church age, that is, in the church age, that is where this special place is found. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me, found in John chapter 14, verse 6. We know where the place is. We know how to get there, and soon we will be at home in this dwelling. I just want to offer a short commentary uh, on this part of the week. Uh, in Christ, we have all the fullness of God. Uh, you know, there's a song that goes, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his marvelous word. You know, as we go along this journey of transformation, let us not be frustrated as we go along. Right? We all continue 
and with humility to go forward as we are being transformed every single day. Let us, like the disciples who, before they received the Spirit, and we're talking about in Acts, when they were fully charged and they fully understood, most of them died horrible lives, I mean horrible deaths as they were crucified and, and, and subjected to all kinds of, and they went glad, they sang and they were, their spirit was with God. They understood. So like the disciples who didn't understand and were brought along slowly, uh, might we uh, have the same experience? And I just want to read this. It says, I consider our present sufferings, this is found in Romans 8, 18. I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And the children of God is who we are. At this time, I want to turn the service over to Dwight for prayer. Thank you very much, Greg, for that. Um, I want to acknowledge that we, I did have an opportunity to take a quick look at our, our dashboard for uh, the platform we use, SoundCloud, for the delivery of, of sermons, and we are having um, a notable impact. Um, year to date, we've had over 2,500 plays of our uh, various sermons. And also, we are hitting um, national, uh, worldwide, um, not just in the U.S., but also in the U.K., UK Ireland, uh, Germany, France, etc. Um, so that is significant. And, and I want to start out our prayer um, with an acknowledgement of that. So let us bow our heads. Thank you, Father for giving us such a wonderful opportunity for not only our own fellowship, but also the opportunity to have this impact uh, worldwide without having to travel to each of these countries. It's just amazing what um, you can do through us with the technology that we have available. So thank you, Father. We, you have blessed us beyond all we can ask or think. We have seen your wisdom. We have heard your wisdom hidden for ages for our glory beyond all that we could have imagined. And this is wisdom that was not seen or was not heard and could not be imagined. And yet you have revealed it to us. I pray for the continued growth and health of Word of Truth Christian Church. I pray for the church worldwide um, that then individuals and, and assemblies of, of Christians would continue to grow and, and to seek what you desire. I pray for those with individual struggles, whether health-related, finance-related, or whatever their struggles may be, um, be with those people and help them to achieve your desires, which says that all people would be saved and all people would come to the full knowledge of the truth. I pray for those who would have individual uh, praises, that they would express the gratitude in their heart and that you would hear them and, and even know them 
before it even comes out of their mouth. And let us remember the events of 20 years ago, 9-11, the attacks on the United States then. Uh, let us also remember persecutions of Christians all around the world as well. And um, I ask that you would continue to draw our hearts closer to you and to each other and let the whole world know that we love each other as Christ has loved us. And in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Dwight. I appreciate that. And Fred as well for the thought of the week. We are so blessed to have you uh, all participate and, and to add uh, what your thoughts are as, uh, as a part of our service as well. So we are, we're in our notes. We're, we're continuing where we left off. Uh, we're now in John chapter 16 and 25. And you have notes. And the scripture is, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. So we're going to look into this. Uh, in your notes we have, we must learn to respect the process of spiritual growth. As we grow up in the Lord, he becomes more and more prominent in our lives. <clears throat> Remarkably, this happens simultaneously with our coming to know more and more of his mind and motivation. For us to grow, it is not only about knowing the mind of Christ, but also about surrendering to his motivation. Christ's motivation has been managed by the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives. The Spirit's influence is Christ's motivation to do the Father's will. As we grow up in Christ, we also can begin a more direct dialogue with Jesus. So we have, uh, we're making our way through John 16. So I think we've got about six or seven verses left. We'll see. But we're starting, as we start to near the end of the chapter, we start to see what this chapter was all about. It starts to come together. And uh, I, by now, the context hopefully is dawning on all of us. And we are uh, immersed now with the thoughts and words of Jesus. So let's keep on going. The first thought is, though I have been speaking figuratively. So let's look at that phrase, figuratively. And uh, here's the Greek word, paranoia. And uh, it sounds awfully like the word parable. Right? <laughs> you can imagine, and it is. Uh, and, and this is what it means. Apparently a state alongside of supposition, that is, concretely, an adage, specifically uh, enigmatical, enigmatical or fictitious illustration. Uh, or you can simply say a parable <laughs> or a proverb. So in this, it's like a story alongside of a story. So it will be like asking a question uh, and someone answers you by saying, let me tell you a story. There was a man who 
had a farm and he lent it out to those who would uh, go and work the ground and and they were supposed to produce fruit for us right and then I mean, that's a story that's a story that Jesus told actually to and there was meaning to that story but if you just think about him telling a story it is really not about the story itself it is how the story parallels the reality of what was happening spiritually for Israel so parables were given so that Jesus didn't directly tell them you know what you're failing as a nation you're not honoring you know what your commitment was your covenant was he he, he could tell them straight but he could also illustrate it and uh, for those who see they get to see for those who don't well at least they got the story <laughs> some people will probably yeah that man tells great stories but uh, they didn't understand what was meant by those stories so uh, parables were those and we're going to get into it a little bit more point B to speak directly but with the use of similes allegories and metaphors this is often the language we use with children. If you ever thought about it, when we speak to children, small children, and uh, we know their, their vocabulary and their concepts of understanding are limited, then we can't talk directly to them as we would an adult. So we got to use a lot of illustrations and, and similes and metaphors to help get our points across to children. That's why a lot of times children learn through playing, right? Just through their normal play. And then obviously the play, if directed by super, you know, supervised parents or teachers, helps children develop skills for learning and understanding. And, and that's, that's the truth about it all. And, you know, uh, there was a, early in in, um, in Microsoft, when they used to come out with all the Windows, uh, you know, uh, operating systems, the Windows operating systems. And they, you know, they put in there Solitaire, which is a card game. And the reason they put Solitaire in there is because they wanted to help people understand how to use and get practice on how to use the mouse. And how to click and drag and drop and all those things. They that was their way of helping people become familiar with working on a PC with a mouse. So so it, all of this it is to say we use language of accommodation every day. All of us do, if you think about it. We're always saying it's like this, or in other words, this. Right? We're we're trying to help facilitate communication it is used and guess what it is used by God as well it is used in the Bible it is used uh, quite often so we're going to get the understanding of this uh, we call it language of accommodation right so, so that even though we can't understand certain things from God God uses language that we would understand to make a point to us whether he's for something, against it, whatever his, his attitude is about a particular thing, 
he's going to illustrate that to us. So it happens all the time. So let's continue on in our notes because we're talking, Jesus says, though I have been speaking figuratively. Point C is, in matters of spiritual things, sometimes Jesus would have to use figurative language. A good example of this in our discourse is John chapter 15. So, so as Jesus had taught in 14, he talked very specifically about what was going to happen, uh, you know, how uh, when the Spirit comes, you know, we, then he says he wouldn't leave us as orphans, he will come to us, and then on that day we they would realize that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you, and so forth. And he went through some very direct language there, and then he got to 15, and he starts off with a parable. Well, not a parable, but a story. Very similar to what we've been talking about, using figurative language. So he starts off saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He's given roles and assigning. He says, he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I, as I also remain in you. So he's using the backdrop of an agricultural analogy where he's assigning roles and responsibilities and <laughs> people are to understand a greater truth through this illustration and we have we went through john 15 and we saw very interesting things that relate to what he had been talking about in 14 what he wanted to help reveal some people look at john uh, john chapter 14 as an island to itself john chapter 15 as an island to itself but no there is a context there's a general trend of thought that is trying to jesus is trying to convey so we keep that in mind. Point D, the, the disciples came to him and asked. This is literally, I had to include this for sure. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? So I think this is um, appropriate for us to answer. So uh, Matthew 13, let's go there. Matthew 13. So I'm looking at 10. 10 says, why do you speak in parables, right? So if we review that, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an, an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are, are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, 
Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So this is uh, Jesus' explanation of why he speaks in parables to the general crowd. So he spoke in parables to the disciples as well, but uh, more so to the people in general. And so we just keep in mind, he's talking about to the people of Israel. And these people um, have a covenant relationship with God. And uh, they're supposed to have some wisdom and knowledge about God, but that is not the case. So Jesus is saying he can't even speak directly to Israel. He has to couch his language in figurative speech. So hopefully that is understood, uh, but there's a lot in that for us to make sure we get. And, uh, you know, more questions could be around these verses, but we're going to continue because we got a lot to cover. But if, if you do have questions in this area, please ask. We have uh, Q&A periods, and I would love to talk about this more. Point E, we as ministers of the Word of God must always use words that speak to the person of whom we are ministering. Just think, of, think about that statement. Just, just let, it, let it be what it is. I mean, when we talk to people... We are ministers when it comes to what we are doing. We're ministers of the Word of God. So ministers means that we're servants. We are those who look away from ourselves and look at others to see what it is they need. That's what a, a true minister is. And uh, so the, the role demands of you that you have humility towards other people. So you're, if you're going to serve other people, it is best to serve them with things that they need, that they want. Right? It's important. Now we know overall, as ministers of the Word of God, ministers of the Gospel, that they need the Gospel. We know they need to understand the truth of the Gospel. So, But we have to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, as we talk to people, because even though we know what's best for them, <laughs> which is uh, salvation, right? They may, they may not understand that, but you have to be able to deliver that uh, and balance what they want as well. That's a minister of the gospel. So we got to use words that speak to the person. We can't use words that are like, you know, you're talking to a child, but you got all these big words that they don't understand. So while you walk away saying, I communicate, I told them, but if they didn't understand what you said, then you haven't told them anything. You haven't communicated anything. But you, you feel good that you've, you've gotten what you wanted to say, but you haven't looked at the person to see what it is they're able to understand. So we could say talking, we talk down to children. This is not in an arrogant way. It's because of their normal maturation process. They just don't have the capacity to understand. And that's clear. I mean, it just, everybody can know that because we all do it. It's automatic. And if we did talk to a child like it was an adult, uh, then something's wrong with us. <laughs> we're, we're not understanding 
a natural point in life where you know children don't understand and everybody already makes allowances for that by speaking down to children, tempering down their language. So, or using stories or you know whatever it is. And the children learn through that. So as a minister of the gospel, you gotta look at the person. You gotta see where they are. You gotta start from a place where they have interest. You know, there could be a lot of different ways you talk about it, but talk about it in a way that will hopefully interest them and what is important to them. Point F. We may understand truth from the spirit of truth well enough, but communicating truth is always language of accommodation. So whatever you understand, when the Holy Spirit enlightens you to some truth, that you now understand, don't think you can just directly go to another person and relate that. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You must use language of accommodation. First of all, the person has to have interest in learning truth. You may come to them, I got this thing I want to tell you. I'm, 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 I'm ready. Let me, I'm raring to go. I just saw it. And the person, I'm not interested in learning that. That's, maybe you may be interested, but they're not. And if they're kind to you, they may hear you, but really, they're just being kind because, you know, they don't want to tell you they're not interested. But you, as the, the one who is trying to communicate that truth, has to take all that into consideration and not overstep your bounds with people. It's always about language of accommodation. You have to communicate. And a lot of times, even if the person is interested, you might have to build the foundation before you get to tell them. There, for you to understand it, there were prerequisites. You didn't just understand it immediately. There were things that had to be in place for you to learn that and get to the place where the lights are on. I used to say it like, I used to use it here, another, yet another metaphor. Uh, I used to do uh, electrical uh, wiring when I was in uh, college. And I used to work with an electrician. And I knew about, you know, what it took to, you know, rough out a room and, you know, what it meant to, you know, get the wiring and all of the outlets and the fixtures and all that. So you had to bare room with all that open and you had to rough it out. And, and we did that, you know, when we were in college. So, I, but the analogy is, for you to understand and for the lights to come on, not only did you have to have everything in place, everything hooked up properly, and then before you even turn the power on for the lights to come on, you had to have inspections. So a professional had to come in and review your work and see that, did you do this and did you do that? And if you did, he would say, okay, I'll give you a sticker. You're going to be approved. And then you could turn the lights on. And then, behold, there is light. But just to say that all of a sudden you've heard something from the Spirit of Truth and now understand God, and now I'm going to just tell somebody else, doesn't always work that way. And I would say probably no two people are at the same spiritual growth level. It's not easy to say, oh, we're right at the same level of spiritual growth. You might be very compatible, but 
there's always going to be things that that person understands that you don't and vice versa. And that's just, there's such an, a large amount of knowledge that we have to amass. Uh, I don't know if, every, if we could say everybody is at the same level of spiritual growth. It's, it's just not. So there's always language of accommodation. It's very helpful. And it has continued, uh, in, even though it's made plain to us, we are seeing it many different ways. Uh, we see it by analogies. And God continues to make these analogies to us. And it even drives the point home further. So let's keep on going in our notes here. Although I have been speaking figuratively, Jesus says, point number two says, a time is coming when I would, will no longer use this kind of language. So let's dig into that a little bit. A time is coming. Speaking of the time when the new dispensation has come and the ministry of the Spirit is able to communicate the mind of Christ to us. And I have a couple of scriptures that I'd like to use to help illustrate that. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse uh, 10 says, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So when we think about this point, when a time is coming, when, when the Spirit comes. So he, when Jesus was there teaching the disciples, uh, it was more in terms of introduction. For Jesus to say, I got much more to tell you. More than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. So Jesus is saying, really, if you think about that, he's only given them a little bit of what he needed to tell them. But he's saying, I got much more to tell you. So the bulk of that information would come after Pentecost. And as we are, are sitting here reviewing Paul's writings... Paul was, you know, somebody who came late to the game. I mean, the disciples were there. Paul wasn't at the discourse that we are studying in John. But God did call the apostle. And it was, so it took a little time. Even, so the day of Pentecost, yeah, the disciples got information, clarity. They got, the spirit came and there were realities that were, uh, they were uh, made known automatically by the coming of the Spirit and so forth. But there was a lot more of knowledge and wisdom that the Spirit had to impart as they went on in their spiritual experience. And sure enough, that's what was happening. And, and we, we got to learn that. And this is so we see the, the well of information is the Holy Spirit. This, and he searches all things, even the deep things of God. And I would venture into verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the mystery was given to God, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit was given, he's the communications manager for Christ, as, as it were. And he's able to communicate the Spirit's 
uh, or Christ's thoughts. And, and, and it's only through the Spirit of God. So when the Spirit of Pentecost, when Christ left and the Spirit came, the only way to hear from Jesus or to know the mind of Christ is the Spirit of God. That's it. There's no other way to know or hear from Christ. It is through that means. And the means is more personal. Not only is the Spirit uh, working upon us like it was in the Old Testament, but He's in us. He, he's a part of who we are. He, 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 our perceptions and uh, uh, are heightened as a result of what the Spirit brings to us. We have the Spirit forever. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.10 literally says that. And then there's 2.13, which is, sticks out to me. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us or taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. So literally, he, he's communicating to us in a more direct way. Uh, it's almost like... Um, if you look at uh, how God's communication, dreams, visions, and all these various things, prophets come and teach. But Jesus is saying, I'm, it's going to be more direct means of communication when God the Holy Spirit communicates that to your spirit directly. That, that form of communication is more direct than anything you can imagine. Uh, prior to this and that's what we have in the church age i mean and and we would need a greater form of communication i would say if we are going to be the heralds of god's eternal purpose as it says in ephesians 3 you know god says where the apostle says um, it is my job to preach to the gentiles the unsearchable riches of christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hid in God. So God uses a greater method of communication. And what is that? That is through the ministry of the Spirit that he does so. So it's important. And then verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now just notice, we have the mind of Christ, but how do we have it? A person would say, I got the mind of Christ, but the only way you can possibly have the mind of Christ is not to forget what the context of 1 Corinthians 2 says. You can only have it by means of the Spirit who makes these things knowledgeable and understandable to us. It is only through the work of the Spirit. So keep that in mind. And then point B, from our perspective, um, at this point, we can see that the disciples had much to learn. They had much to learn. So, obviously, they didn't have it. He, when Jesus says, the time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language. I'm going to tell you directly, but I'm going to tell you through a, a more direct means of communication. And that is through, obviously, the Spirit. So the disciples have much more, is what I was saying earlier. Much more to learn. And that is where Jesus said that in uh, John 16, 12 and 13. I got much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
Now, now all truth, they didn't have all truth. The disciples were, were in the process of being introduced to all truth. But when the Spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. Just imagine. If you were to say that to a rabbi or a teacher of, the, of Judaism, they would say, wait a minute, we got all truth here. We got the law. We got the prophets. We got all the testimonies that, that God has given us. What do you mean all truth? And so what, what happened here is unique because the, a new dispensation has dawned and God is finally getting the, the timing where he is able to bring those many sons into glory. All, everything is in place for him to do it. All, every, he, the timing is perfect. I like what it says in Galatians. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. And then he said, and that we might receive the full rights as sons. That's in Galatians 4. Take a look at it. But that is to say that this is not just happenstance that God, oh, we're at this place and where God is calling out many sons. No, this was so orchestrated by God from before time began that now we're at this point. Can you imagine God is able to perform? This is this is this has to be very special for God. I hope it's very special for us too. Point C: Even though Jesus is not here physically, He will be speaking directly to them and us through the efficient ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's John six fourteen. So if I look at John six fourteen, you already know this. Um, uh oh. Did I say it's sixteen fourteen? He will glorify me because from me he will receive what he will make known to you. So the Holy Spirit, he's talking about in context. That's who he's talking about, the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me. Why? Why will that happen? Because he will receive what he will make known to you. So he receives from Christ. And then he delivers it to us. And this is the means of communication that we're talking about. How This is the more direct means that the Holy Spirit is, has been employed to use on us so that we can come to understand the mind of Christ. So Christ is telling us, yeah, he's going to glorify me. Yeah, he's, he's going to take from me and make it known to you. These are terms. The terms may sound crude to you, but these are the terms we had and that were uh, definitely communicated to us efficiently in uh, over 2,000 years ago now. This is the terms that, it was used, that were used. Point D, uh, no longer use this kind of language. So when Jesus says, I will no longer use this kind of language, what does he mean by that? Is it, in other words, no more parables or figurative speech. The Spirit's communication is direct and clear, as to our purpose and mission in the world. And, and that's more what is happening. So even though, if you look at Israel and the Gentiles and all the things that happened up to that point, 
what you get is not a clear rendering of what God's eternal purpose is. Since it was hidden, well, I could never come to what is all truth because it wasn't revealed. It was hid in God. So, so how could they possibly have a clear understanding of what God's eternal purpose is? They couldn't. So we, when Jesus says, I'm not going to speak anymore, well, what's going to happen? What's going to be the major difference is that God is going to communicate, communicate through the Spirit directly the Father's eternal purpose, right? And, and our purpose and our mission in the world. That's going to be clearly laid out in this age when the Spirit comes. And sure enough, it has been. It has been. We now have information that goes beyond, that supersedes what Israel had in terms of these questions, these, this understanding. So point E, so we have a new dispensation. We do. And the Father's eternal purpose is clearly stated in definable terms and able to be documented because our revelation has been reduced to writing. So literally we have what is written. So John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Not only does our dispensation uh, add to what uh, you know was hidden, but now we've added that, but we have completed the canon of scripture with this revelation. So not only uh, are we, we understand God's eternal person, purpose, we go on and finish the story with Israel. Those things that were hidden and were not told in terms of Israel, that they knew that were coming later, are fulfilled in the book of Revelation. And a few other passages are told as well. And we have our instructions in writing. So they're not just, oh, well, what should, what, which is the way we should go and how should we look at this? We have it in writing. This, what is truth? Thy word is truth. That's what's important. And that's what we have in John 17, 17. It's definable. The Holy Spirit is not just operating on a whim and where people, are, their eyes get really wide and, and they say, well, you know, God works in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. You can't know what God's going to do next and where he'll strike or move. or Those things are not in definable terms. That's not plainly, clearly communicating the will and purpose of God. But what it does is it clouds the will and purpose of God and, and opens it up for anything and everything to be possible. Whereas God has limited what his will, purpose, and plan is to his word. John 17, 17. How are we to grow up in wisdom and knowledge? Sanctify them by means of the truth. What's that? Your word is truth. Now, it's definable. It's written. Right? It, it is something that has been reduced to writing for us so that we can have this. That is valuable in our age. Uh, Israel had the written word as well, which, wow. And, and in the ancient world, that was the most, one of the most important things about Israel was they had the law. It wasn't just the law through word of mouth passed on from generation to generation. It was written. 
and the Jews were caretakers of the Old Testament so that they guarded the words and meticulously wrote them down painstakingly, word by word. And then they would count each letter, each stroke to make sure that they hadn't missed anything in their copying of these, uh, what they call the sacred text. So, so these, these are the transmission of the word of God. I love it where Isaiah says, when grass may wither, the flower may fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And God is directing. It's not, we're not just depending on these Jewish scholars, these Jewish scribes who kept the word. We're depending on God who promises us that he would preserve his word. So yes, and uh, September 12th, 2021, we can be sure that what we hold in our hand, the Word of God, is accurate. It is clear. It is historically accurate as well as it is the will of God for us in our lives. So It is important. It is definable in terms we can understand and are documented. And, and how do we understand it? Because God the Holy Spirit attends this and uses this as the very uh, ground for his communication to uh, those who are in the world. So it's important. So Jesus said, I got much more to tell you. And here we are learning that much more. So back to our notes, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language. And here's this last phrase that we're going to focus on. But I will tell you plainly about my father. So the first thought is Jesus not only came to fulfill all righteousness, salvation, but also to reveal the Father. So before we get to that, when I say he came to fulfill all righteousness, generally that term is used for salvation. Right? And because Jesus had a role that he played where he had to uh, bring or fulfill the salvation plan of God. Now it's not a different plan, it's a component part of God's eternal purpose. So Jesus had to make sure that he did go to the cross, that he did receive the imputation of our sins, and that he was punished for those sins, and, and that it was, in fact, propitious to God, that God is satisfied with the work of Christ on our behalf, not just our behalf, but on behalf of the whole world. All those things are very important. Christ had to do that. He literally had to do that. But he came also to reveal the Father. So John 4, if I jump to John, a couple of verses I have here. John 4 and 34 says, My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So this is, um, uh, this is, the woman at the well. Remember, the disciples went away to get some burgers. Well, they went to the, to the next town to get some food. Jesus sat there at the well, and there was a woman. And Jesus began and struck up a conversation with this woman, and you know the story. But down toward the end, after the woman left and went to town to go tell people, so Christ was standing there with his disciples. The disciples were, were like, well, I know you're hungry, you're famished, and this is why we went to go get food. Uh, so they urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And this is what Jesus said to them. 
I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And then Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So, so this is, so Jesus was walking around, but yes, he had physical needs. Yes, he did. Yes, he needed to eat. But more important to Jesus was to, right here, even more important than food, food. He says, man shall not live in another place. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, he didn't say we didn't need bread. <laughs> that would be one thing. He said, we don't need any bread. We just need the word of God. No, no. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. So there's that need has to be met or we don't live here on the earth. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that's how valuable the word of God is. Just like food sustains your physical life. The word of God sustains your spiritual life. So, so this is important. Then John 6, 38, there's more. Um, let's read that. We'll move along. John 6, 38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So Jesus got into it with these uh, so-called disciples in John chapter 6. And uh, here's a statement that I say stands alone because it tells you the motivation that Jesus had when he was here. He said, this is, this is what I'm here for. This is my food. This is what I'm here for, to do the will of him who sent me. He was clear about his purposes. And then uh, John 17 when he says, I'm going to tell you plainly about the Father, the reason we're going to know clearly is because uh, of what we're reading in these verses. But righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. So Jesus is saying that when, when that time comes, when Pentecost comes, the disciples will understand even better, plainly. Jesus, and who's going to tell them? The Holy Spirit? No. Christ is going to tell them through the Holy Spirit. And I, I say that in a particular way. Christ is still speaking to them. And, and that's why we don't want to focus our attention on the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is just a method or means of communication. He's God. He's, in, he's perfect in how he handles it, but he's operates from a position of humility. It's not about him. It's about Christ. He will, Christ said he will glorify me, not himself. It is, it is a perfect form of communication that is given to us. Now, we still have the options to want to hear it or to not want to hear it. It's up to us. But it's going to be, it's going to be clear. He says he's going to tell us plainly about my father, Jesus says. So point C, tell you plainly about my father. The revelation of the father is not confined to the person of the father or simply 
a new person of the Godhead. Telling us plainly about the Father is a reference to the Father's eternal purpose. Now, just think about this. A lot of times people think, well, you know, Jesus came to reveal the Father, and we didn't know there was a Father. We didn't know there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that they were, you know, we didn't know it that clearly, right? Uh, that's not it. That's not it at all. Well, I mean, we do know that there's an entity, the Father. There's a person that is the Father. But the point here is not that we know the person so much of the Father. It's that we know what the Father is about. It is about the Father's eternal purpose. Right? And if you get to know somebody, and then you come to know uh, who they are and what motivates them, what makes them tick, what they're about. That's more important than their physical attributes or the fact that they are they exist as a person. The, what they're about, what their motivation is, what is all important here. Not, uh, you know, just understanding, you know, uh, details about who they are. <laughs> as I used to joke and say, what color socks the father wears. That's not important. What's important is the Father's eternal purpose. When Jesus is saying he's revealing the Father, well, what's he revealing about the Father? He's revealing, he's revealing the Father's eternal purpose. Here is what he's revealed in Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. Uh, I think you, you already know this. Hold on. Ephesians 3, 9 through 11, it says, to make plain to everyone, right? He will tell us plainly about the Father. And here it is, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so this is plain language about the Father. I mean, it, here, you, you're not just talking about, well, yeah, the Father has a green shirt on, he, is, he has a hat, and he's a beard, he's old. No, the Father is about this motivation. This is what you need to know about the Father. And I would say, if you, know, if you knew all those other details, those are inconsequential, as they relate to what the eternal purpose is. That's what's most important. So the revel so point D in our notes, back to our notes, the revelation of the Father, which was m not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. That's Ephesians three and five. So it, it, this information, the revelation of the Father was hidden. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. Did, did they know that there were more people in the Godhead? Yes, they did. I think, I think also, like it says, let, let us make man in our image and our likeness. I don't think it was a mystery that there was the Father and there was the Son. I like what Psalm 110 says, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit down at my at the right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That didn't originate in Hebrews. That originated in Psalm 110. 
So, so the idea that there was another entity, that's not the point. The point is that the revelation of the Father, this information about his motivation, his eternal purpose, is what is at stake here. And so that's why. Let's read that again. Revelation of the Father. And it doesn't say that, but I've added this verse to what the revelation of the Father was, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by God's uh, holy apostles and prophets. So what do you think you should know uh, right now? The information about what was hidden from other ages or just the details that where we can glean that there was an entity called the Father? I think you already know what the answer is. Point E in our notes tell you plainly. And literally, this verse says it. He says, I'm going to make it plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Now, administration of the mystery, administration of the mystery means, the administration means how God rules over his household. Right? That's, if you look at the word that is translated for dispensations or the administration, that's how a a homeowner, or he rules over his house. What, what are his rules? How does he actually administer his rulership over his house? And that word is used for God in this age, which is new, which was hidden. But now we are able to see it. And Paul is saying, not only are we seeing it, but it is my objective to make it clear, plain, perspicuous to everyone that we meet to every this is what he's saying he's, first he said that we might he might preach to the gentiles the unsearchable riches of christ now he's going to teach gentiles about what's hidden in christ yes that's paul's objective to do that and then he says not only that but but to make plain to everyone and that would include jews everyone uh, about how god is ruling over this dispensation right now and that's what's happening. And then he goes further, as, as we have already read in those verses. So that's, I mean, that's a revelation of the Father. It was hidden. It's now revealed. It's for us. And now he's going to tell us plainly about it. And we're, we speak about this openly. You know, the, the strange thing is, <clears throat> these things were hidden. <clears throat> Excuse me. These things were hidden in God. And yet, people still respond to these things as though they are still hidden. They still think uh, of, of things of the past having more prominence than things that God has given us today. So I read Ephesians 3.9, but 2 Corinthians 5 11, let's look at that really quick. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. That's what Paul is saying. He's speaking to people directly. And the words that are spoken to these people and the hearts of these people the Holy Spirit takes that, and that truth, 
and is able to witness on the inside of people. We, we can't really affect what happens on the inside of people. We, don't, we can't control what a person thinks. We can't uh, persuade or influence, but God the Holy Spirit can. He can take those words and he can enlighten, he can influence. All those things happen for God the Holy Spirit. This is important information that we're dealing with of the highest level. And we are respecting the purposes of God and his means of communication, of doing so. Point F, make plain. Make to, What does that word plain mean? You know, because Jesus uses, he says, but, but will tell you plainly about my father. So let, let's look at that word uh, that he uses, to make plain. Fotizo is the word in Greek. It means to shed rays, that is to shine or transitively, to brighten up literally or figuratively. Enlighten, illuminate, bring to, give light, make to see. Now, there it is, make to see. I will make it plain to you. I will make you see it. That's like the word fotizo. is like turning on the lights. Once you turn on the light, you can see. If you're in darkness, you can't see what's going on. But when you turn that light on, now I don't have to even tell you what's in the room. You can see it for yourself. That's literally what Jesus says. He will tell you plainly. Imagine that. We have the eternal purpose of God. And we have such clear communication from God about his, not just facts of creation, but about his motivations in creating all things and what he desired to have. What was his goal? And I mean, those are things that have to be expressed in ways that we would understand. It's even hard sometimes to convey our motivations to others. But what God is saying is, listen, I'm going to convey my motivation from eternity past to you. This is before time began. This is before creation of all things. God's going to be able to elucidate that, to shine the light on it, make it plain. Because now he's not just saying it's plain to us. He's saying it is our job to learn it and make it plain to others. It goes to that point. So it's got to be clear. What do we have to make this clear? We have the Word of God. And the Word of God, the, the, the epistles, all that we go over in terms of the progression of this revelation and how it was received and what God's intentions were in giving it, and all of that we have. And not only do we have it, we have it in writing. So we're down to our last couple points here. And here it says, we cannot minimize the greatest internal battle of the early church. And what was it? It was the mystery. <laughs> if we don't know that, then you haven't read the Bible carefully. Well, first of all, I would say people are not even seeing the mystery at all. But the early church saw it. And the Jews who were there understood that it was an affront to their uh, mosaic way of thinking about things. They 
were very adamant, and it was very clear to them, and I don't understand why people today don't see the mystery and all of the impact that it is bringing, right? It's clear we're not under the Mosaic Law, we're not this and that. All those things were very clear. And there is no compromise. The church is not Israel, spiritual or otherwise. We are not Israel. And we have a different purpose than them. Now, if we look at 2 Corinthians 3, I think I'm already there. So 2 Corinthians 3, we're going to look at verses 7 through 10. There may be something you miss here. So let's pay close attention to what is said. Uh, now, verse 7, now if the ministry that brought death, what's the ministry that brought death? Obviously, that's the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, which was, how do we know? Which was engraved in letters on stone. The Ten Commandments are the principle, the, the Ten Commandments law that they received, on the, uh, Moses received, is the very principle of what the Jews had. I mean, it wasn't the only law. There were lots of other laws that were written. But this speaks of their entire system, the Ten Commandments. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not steadfastly, could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, temporary. Transitory means temporary. It was fading. Then in verse 8, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So it had glory, but it's even more glorious. Verse 8, will not, uh, verse 9, If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Now verse 10 is the, is the key here to what I wanted to say. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. So yes, it might have been glorious, but what about the Mosaic Law? Right now, what about it? It has no glory now. That's important for you to know. So why are so many looking back to the law to find what their way of life is? To, to understand God, when, when they have something that surpasses that. And, and when you think about it, it has no glory now. Why does it have any glory now? Because we're not in the age of Israel anymore. We're in the new age. And it's not, we're not under the law at all. So verse 10 says it. For what? For what was glorious, was glorious, has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. So this is the problem that I think people have continued to look at the Old Testament as though there was still some glory in it when it's compared to what we are in our age now, what we have in our age. It has, it has no glory compared to what we have today. And what does that mean? It means we're not under the Mosaic Law. God didn't just bring, by this revelation, more glory to the Mosaic Law. You know, that's the... No, he set that aside. 
and gave us something completely new. So this is why I say there is no compromise in this. The church is not Israel, spiritual or otherwise. We have a different purpose than them, clearly. And point H, you cannot see the mystery through the lens of the Mosaic Law. You can only see it from the spirit of truth. And that's 1 Corinthians 9 and 10, which says, Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man, thing that God has prepared for those who love him. And then verse 10 in 1 Corinthians said, But God has revealed these things to us by means of the Spirit. Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So, all of this is to say that in order to see this greatest of revelation ever given to the human race, God has a means of communication. Jesus says, I'm going to tell you plainly. It's, he didn't say, I'm going to tell you through the Holy Spirit, because that's he already told us that. But he says, I will tell you plainly. Christ, we're hearing from Christ through these New Testament epistles. Christ is telling us plainly. When we have the mind of Christ, we don't just have the knowledge, we have the very motivations of Christ transmitted to us in terms of God the Holy Spirit and the influences that he is leading and guiding us into all truth. So we have so much to consider. Uh, we have a heritage that God has given us that it supersedes anything. I, am I trying to build ourselves up over Israel? That's not the point. The point is that we don't miss the greatest revelation of God ever by focusing on lesser things. It's like David prayed, Lord, turn my eyes away from worthless things. That's what David prayed. I say the same. That's my prayer, that we turn our eyes away from things that are worthless and focus our attention on Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let's bow our heads as we close. We'll continue these thoughts next week. Thank you, Father. We're so glad and we're proud to be a part of your eternal purpose. Father, we recognize it is by grace, just like our salvation was by grace, and there's nothing we can do about it. It's not of ourselves. It, it, it is bestowed upon us, and it is nothing we earned or deserve. We so thank, we're so thankful for what you have given us with regard to our calling. Father, we thank you for the salvation that we share as well, which is by grace. It is written for us so that it, it is indelibly in the pages of human history. So thank you, Father, for preserving your word, preserving your will and your motivation for us. Well, Father, I'm praying for Word is Truth Christian Church, wherever they may be, asking that you will continue to challenge us with uh, your thoughts, your wisdom, your knowledge, so that we can continue to grow and that we would seek after wisdom as we talked earlier about and that that will be our primary focus in life. For life is short. We don't know how long we're going to be here. 
Father, we can say that while here, we pursued that which was of the highest value to you. So we thank you, Father, for our sojourn here in the world. As long as we are here, Father, we pray that we will glorify you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.